It's cool you always play that cool music for Neil when he does announcements. Um, I got to give you a heads up here. Uh, I uh, seriously threw my back out this morning. Uh, I was, uh, got up early to go over my sermon stuff and was in the shower afterwards and I was showering and I was toweling off and I was in this position and I coughed. And then I was like on the floor and still can hardly breathe. So insert your like now you're 40 joke here. But uh, if I breathe weird periodically during the message or seize up at some point and fall down, just talk about your Easter basket or something. Because uh, I'm in semi-excruciating pain. Okay. Um, so happy Easter to everybody. Happy Easter to the video venue across the way. Hope you're enjoying your uh, omelet bar. And... Uh, fresh squeezed orange juice that we're providing for them and you guys get jack squat. So um, for most of us, we're somewhat familiar with the Christmas story, maybe a little more than the Easter story. And so this year I thought I just would like to reacquaint us with the story of Easter. If you turn to Mark chapter 16 in your Bible, if you have one, if not, pull a little insert out of your bulletin. You can track with us there. Mark 16, Mark is considered the oldest of the four gospels. And we're going to look at his recording of the Easter experience. Mark 16, verse 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might anoint Jesus' body. Very clearly on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Do not be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And that's actually the end of Mark's, Mark's gospel. It's kind of a strange, abrupt way to end. Not heroic, not courageous, rather trembling and bewildered, they fled. In fact, this seems strange to the ancient world as well. That's why several endings were eventually attached to Mark. You may have some of those endings in your Bible, but you probably have an editorial note that says these were not in the earliest and original versions of the book of Mark. One of the unique aspects of Christianity, and actually this is uh, really simple, is it traces its origin to one unique event in one moment in one day in human history. That's pretty unique to Christianity. One day there was no such thing called the church. Then suddenly there was. And a group of people suffered and died because of that cause. It's recorded in history for this man, Jesus. There are four biographies in the Bible of this guy, Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in each one, the majority of the content of those books focuses on just one week of his life, the last week of his life, which is really unprecedented in the way biographies are written. Why was it done that way? Well, the early followers insisted with remarkable unity that the one event that created this movement was that this man, Jesus, was resurrected from the dead. But part of what we'll see, we see at the end of Mark is it took some time for them to understand the full significance of what happened. In our day, many refer to the resurrection as good news, which I think it is. But there are a lot of us, maybe you're here this morning, that sometimes wonder, is it true news? Often the thinking goes like this. Ancient people were primitive. They didn't have ass, uh, uh, assessment or ability to have modern science like we have today. They were superstitious. They're gullible. 
And so ancient people were grieving over the death of this guy, Jesus, and they felt some vague sense of his presence still with them. And over time, uh, over decades, that evolved into stories about Jesus being raised from the dead. But this is only plausible if we don't understand how people in that day actually thought. When it first happened, the tomb was empty. The women knew it was true news. The tomb is empty. But it actually took them a while to see it as good news. So what I want to do this Easter is help us see Easter through their eyes. I assume everybody here knows it's Easter Sunday. If you were here and you just realized that, welcome to today. But we may not know that there is actually a backstory to this whole idea of resurrection. And it's critically important for us to understand Easter to understand this backstory. So before I get to the Jesus part, I want to talk about what people did in the, in the first century in, in Palestine, what they actually thought when they heard the term resurrection. You guys remember the movie The Sixth Sense? Uh, Bruce Willis and the kid that wasn't Macaulay Culkin, whatever his name was, M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, and there's a tagline that became part of kind of cultural lore uh, w- w- that came from that movie. Do you remember what the tagline was? I see dead people. Very good. Uh, it's a very mysterious, scary movie. It's the kind of movie that when I watched with my wife, she would cover her eyes all the time and then peek out from between them and then repeatedly go, what just happened? What just happened? Uh, which isn't annoying at all. But part of, uh, <laughs> part of the reason that the movie was scary was there is no fear like death. If you remember in the movie, there's a significant twist that comes at the end of the movie. At the end of the movie, and I, I'm sorry, if, I don't want to ruin this, but it's been too long, so you should have watched it by now. Uh, the, at the end of the movie, re, Bruce Willis realizes that for the entire movie, he's worn this really bad toupee. No, actually, actually true, but that's not what he realizes. He realizes at the end of the movie, he was actually dead. He didn't know it the whole movie, but he was actually dead. I'm going to come back to that. The human race has always wondered since the dawn of history what happens to us when we die. And there have been different views. One view is that when we die, we go out like a candle. There's nothing after this life at all. It just ends. In fact, there's an ancient tomb inscription that's been uh, discovered that was so popular, it was actually written in Greek and in Latin, two of the most common languages of the first century. And the inscription goes like this. I was not, meaning I didn't exist. I was, meaning I existed. I am not, meaning I don't exist anymore, and I don't care kind of a cheery sentiment, sentiment, but it was a very popular inscription on ancient tombs. Another view in the ancient world, that there was this place called Hades, or the place of the dead, or the underworld, where your spirit would go after death and have some kind of shadowy, ethereal existence there. But, and this is really important, but in both of those cases, no one ever came back. This was a one-way road, the road to Hades, the road to death. In both views, when something died, it stayed dead. Now, there was this ancient people called the Jews. They settled in the land of Canaan, now known as Israel or Palestine. And they held this new idea in the ancient world, this idea of resurrection. The idea was around in Jewish culture long before Jesus. And the idea was not some vague, shadowy, ethereal, spiritual afterlife, but rather that there was a real, true resurrection. That the problem was not just that we would die, but death was a symbol for the whole universe, this world, being broken and a mess, full of pain and suffering. And we can't fix it. I mean, what good would it be to live on after we die in the midst of this mess? So the resurrection belief involved this idea that God, who created all things, one day would restore all things, would make everything new again. And when that happened, God would bring the righteous literally back to life, full, vibrant, bodily life. And at that time, he would redeem and heal all of creation. So with the concept of the resurrection, 
when it, when it was believed, it was not just in the belief in the afterlife, but in a God-perfected, God-redeemed, God-set-right life. That someday God will step in and forgive sins of people and establish justice for the poor and end suffering and heal creation and resurrect his people. And when this happens, it will clearly be dramatic and obvious and undeniable and it will be done on a universe-wide scale. And it will impact all of God's children and it will be, this resurrection will be the culmination of human history. In fact, that was one of the other unique things about this idea of the resurrection that the Jewish culture brought. That this idea of resurrection was the transition, was the hinge point between this age and the age to come, which is a phrase we see throughout the Old and New Testament. That pretty much all other ancient peoples viewed, viewed life as in terms of endless cycles. But the Jewish people were the first people that introduced into this world the idea that history is headed somewhere. But because of all this, no one in Israel would ever think to claim that a specific individual would be raised from the dead in the middle of history. That was something that culminated history. If someone were to claim that, that, that somebody had been resurrected in the middle of history, then the response would have been, well, has disease been eradicated? Is, is there justice for the poor? Is suffering completely gone? No. So stop talking nonsense. It'd be kind of like this. The, the Dodgers are playing the Cubs right now. I'm a big Dodger fan. I grew up in L.A. This is the first time in seven years that I haven't gone to a Dodger-Cub game in Wrig Wrigley because I'm here to be with you guys. So, but Cub, you, know, you, don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to applaud for that. So the Cub, Cubs fans are very loyal, dedicated, committed folks. They believe that one day... <laughs> why are you laughing? They believe that one day the Cubs will win the World Series. And then the world will come to an end. So, but, now but think about this. Okay, I want to try to make this clear. But to talk about one person being raised from the dead in the middle of human history would be the equivalent of saying one cub, let's say Aramis Ramirez, is going to win the World Series and the rest of the team wouldn't. That wouldn't even make any sense. Resurrection, World Series winning is a team deal. It encompasses everything. So into this world comes Jesus, a rabbi. And there were many rabbis in his day, though he possessed a unique authority. And he attracted followers like every great leader in history always has. And he speaks of God like great spiritual teachers did, though he claimed to be God himself, which was unique. And those who followed him believed there had never been anyone like him. They believed he was the Messiah, that he would overthrow Rome and he would usher in God's kingdom. But there was a twist coming. Jesus died. And when this happened, even though he predicted it, none of his followers said, this is awesome. Everything's going to plan. None of his followers thought his death was a good thing. In fact, we are told that when it became clear he was going to die, all of his followers deserted him and fled. When he died, all four Gospels give us very unflattering portraits of the disciples. They were disheartened, dismayed, disillusioned, and dispirited. But then suddenly, all of a sudden, they weren't anymore. After his death, they thought it was all over. They cashed everything in. And then, and this is a matter of history, something changed. And for some reason, the same group of people became convinced that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And that conviction changed the world. You and I are here 2,000 years later on the other side of the planet in Springfield, Illinois, celebrating because of their conviction. And that conviction brought enormous cost to them personally. Their lives, their families' lives, their property, their careers. Again, some people think we are skeptical, skeptical about the resurrection because we're modern and we have science and we're smart. But in ancient times, you know, they must have been gullible or something and we're willing to believe anything. One author called this chronological snobbery. 
ancient people were not stupid. They knew the same thing we know, that dead things tend to stay dead. Our, we have an awesome worship and arts pastor, Doug Cormany. Uh, he's been here seven years. Before him, we had our worship and arts pastor was a, a woman named Leanne Mitchell. And one of my favorite Leanne stories was uh, they had a cat and her husband was coming home in the evening. David was coming home in the evening one evening uh, and he noticed in the street at, down the base of their driveway, their cat was dead. It had been hit by a car. And so he didn't want the little kids at the time, didn't want the kids to see it in that condition. So he picked it up and went to the backyard and dug a grave and buried the cat. And then, then he got the kids and said, you know, uh, guys, the, the Fluffy or whatever his name was, was hit by a car. And we're going to have a little funeral service to remember uh, him and celebrate him or her or whatever it was. And so they had this little service. And this happened to be on Good Friday, actually. So they had this little service and they prayed a prayer and they remembered and cried and went in. And then Easter morning, really early, before light, their littlest daughter was like three years old, came running into the bedroom and said, Mommy, Daddy, it's an Easter miracle. Fluffy is like Jesus. She came back from the dead. And they were like, you know, oh, poor thing. She's got thinking about the Easter thing and resurrection, and she's projecting that on the poor cat because she's so sad. And they go in, and sure enough, Fluffy's sleeping, alive and well, on the foot of their bed. And then David realizes, I've buried someone else's cat. <clears throat> People in the ancient world understood dead things Stay dead. We know that, you know that. Scholar N.T. Wright says many messianic movements in the ancient world uh, were around in the early days. And in every case, the would-be Messiah was crucified by Rome. And in not one single case do we hear the slightest mention of disappointed followers claiming their hero had been raised from the dead. Because they knew better. Dead things stay dead. The resurrection was not a private event. It was a team sport. When it happened, it was going to affect the whole world. So if you were following Messiah, and there were many would-be Messiahs in those days, and your, your Messiah got crucified by Rome, as Jesus did, you really had two choices. You could disband the movement and go back to doing whatever you were doing before, or you could find the new Messiah. And the Gospels are real clear. Jesus' disciples thought, well, it's done, it's over. He's dead. So they went back to fishing or whatever it is they did before. And then two things happened. The tomb was empty, and Jesus appeared to his followers. Interesting, if one or the other of those things had happened without the other one, you know, if there had been like an empty tomb but no appearances, you could have been grave robbers or something, but he did appear. In fact, the written record says that over 500 different people in different places and different scenarios saw him. On the other hand, if people said they saw him but they could still find his body in the tomb, well, then it would be attributed to visions or hallucinations or just outright lies. I mean, if Rome could have produced a body, they would have. In, the, in fact, in the ancient world, graves of heroes, especially dead messiahs, were often made into shrines by their followers. We kind of still do that today. People go visit JFK's tomb, Jim Morrison's tomb in England. But that never happened to Jesus' tomb. Why? Because everybody knew he wasn't there. This is not simply a made-up story. It would have violated all the expectations of what they thought themselves could or should have happened. Another unique part of the story is, and it shows the truth of it, is in Mark 16, verse 1, what we read earlier, it says, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome are the ones that discovered the empty tomb. What do all three of those people have in common? They're all women. We tend not to think much about that in our modern culture, but in ancient Israel, women had very low social status. They were not even uh, viewed as credible witnesses. In fact, if you committed a crime and 50 women saw you, but no men saw you, you could not go to trial. You'd be off scot-free. But the first eyewitnesses to the tomb were women. 
It's recorded by all four Gospels. If you were making up a story to believe, this is not the way you'd write it. This would seriously undermine the credibility of your story. The only plausible explanation for why all four Gospels claim that women found the empty tomb is that women found the empty tomb. Jesus' followers were driven to an understanding of what happened that was contrary to the cultural norm and ideas of that day. This is not just some unique, ethereal, we kind of still sense his presence with us or his vibe still with us. No, this is Jesus is alive. Somehow, we don't fully understand how, but he is alive. And then the implications started to become clear. And this is the bigger twist to the story that nobody was really looking for. They came to understand as they studied the Old Testament that in Jesus' resurrection, the resurrection, the one that would happen at the end of time that would culminate all of history, in his resurrection, that had actually begun. That the age to come that we've all been looking for has started in his resurrection. So the reason this community called the church was so unique was not just the inspiration and transformation, but they believed they were a resurrection community. That they realized We were dead people, and we didn't even know it. Dead in our sins. Cut off from God. And somehow when Jesus was resurrected, God promises he would fix the world. He would forgive sin, and he would heal suffering, and he would redeem and restore this universe. And it has begun in his resurrection. After his resurrection, his followers realized when Jesus died on the cross, it was more than just his death. They didn't understand that was happening at the time. It took the resurrection and looking back on the cross through the lens of the Old Testament to realize somehow in his death, it was for our death, our sin, for the sins that we know we need to be forgiven of, that they got forgiven through what Jesus did on the cross. Ultimately, his sacrifice was for our sin. My guilt died on that cross. They did not understand that until the resurrection. In the cross, our sin, our guilt, death is defeated. And then on the third day, the third day after his death, came the greatest step in human history. You know, life is full of significant steps. We record the first steps of our child as they learn to walk. We record the steps of our child as they walk across a graduation stage. We record the steps of a bride walking down an aisle on the moon. This is one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. But this was the greatest step human history has ever known. Jesus stood on the threshold of that tomb. The stone had been rolled away. What was going on in his mind, only he and the Father know. But he steps across that threshold, and God's new day began. That step changed the world. But there is one more step, the step for each of us. Many of us, our story is somewhat the same. We go through part of our life, maybe a long part of our life, pretty far from God. But at some point we realize, as human beings inevitably do, the limitations of our own self-sufficiency and our own lack of ability to control our own lives. And we may ask questions and we pursue spiritual things, maybe we dabble in some church stuff, but most of us come to a point where we realize there's no longer more information that I need. Now you may still be in the information gathering stage and I encourage you to keep gathering it, but you'll realize at some point you'll never get all your questions answered because a lot of the questions are unanswerable. There is no more information you need. Most of us come to realize that ultimately it's a commitment issue. That we can just go along in kind of spiritual drift mode, believing in God and he's out there and yeah, that Jesus stuff is probably true, but never actually surrendering our life to this God. But the first followers understood post-resurrection that if Jesus has been raised from the dead, it changes everything. And some some of us have decided to confess our sin and receive forgiveness and new life. You know, in many churches, they have a tradition that a person, when they make that decision, they step out of their seat and step down the aisle. And the reason they do that is to signify making a step. 
And you can do that at the end of this service. You'll have people down front if you'd like to talk to them. But really, that's a pretty modern idea. That idea's only been around the last 100 years. You can actually take this step anywhere. You can go home and you can stand in a room and you can say, God, when I step through this doorway and I step into the hall and I step in another room, when I step across this threshold, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to leave my old life behind, my sin, my failures, my junk, my past, my guilt. I want to be your child. Jesus, I want you to be my savior and my forgiver and my friend. And then you can take that step. It's a significant step. And you can enter into a relationship with God. And when you have problems and when you have temptations and when you have struggles and when you have despair, which you all will because that's life, you can look back and remember that step. Have you ever taken that step? If you haven't, this is a great day to do it. Just between you and God in a private moment in your home today, you can stand in that threshold and you can pray a prayer in your own words and you can cross that line. And when you do, you're not just stepping into good news, you're stepping into true news. It's reality. The writer in the New Testament, Paul, wrote, through the resurrection, Jesus destroyed death for us all. You can know when you step across that line, you have a resurrection coming. Jesus himself said, who who believes in me shall never die. That's a curious thing to say because we've all seen death. But here's what he was saying, and this is an image that I try to use to communicate what that means. When, I would, when my kids were little, I used to take them swimming teach them how to swim, and I always wanted them never to be afraid of the water, even when they're little. And so when I was teaching them to swim, from the very early on, when we first kind of experienced the pool thing, when they were little, little, I would say, jump off, and when they would jump off, I would always let them go all the way under, completely under, you know, up to the top of their head, but I immediately grabbed them back. As soon as the top of their head crossed the threshold of the water, I would grab them back up a little bit right away, trying to communicate, look, Daddy's watching. I'm with you the whole time, and maybe you're going to slip below the surface just for a split second. And it might seem scary, but then immediately you're in my arms. And my, arm, my arms are no match for a little water. You are perfectly safe. See, the thing about the resurrection is it's not just true news, it's also good news. Death holds no power. Sin is done. And this is not a metaphor or some vague hope. It's either true or it's not. But don't go through life with some vague drifting. Death cannot take you from the arms of the Father. Guilt and sin cannot separate you from God. Whatever bad news you face, whatever bad news you've brought on yourself, if you have trusted this man Jesus, you have a resurrection coming. If your body is sick and breaking down because of disease or cancer, you don't have to live in fear. You have a resurrection coming. You devastated husband whose wife has abandoned your family and you have a broken heart and feel betrayed and alone, you have a resurrection coming. You frighten parents of a child caught up in destructive choices and you carry that burden in your heart every day. You have a resurrection coming. A jobless man, a broken couple, a guilt-ridden addict hiding in despair, you have a resurrection coming. And if you have taken this step and given your life to the Savior, you are living in a new reality and his arms are plenty strong to pick you up whatever you're in. You have a resurrection coming. And if you have never taken that step, take it today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the cross. But more than that, I thank you for the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. Because the truth is, we will all die. And the truth is, there were many would-be disciples and they all died. What makes Christianity unique, what makes your story unique, is that your tomb is empty. No one disputes that. And you appeared to hundreds of people. And we can argue with that, but that's the truth. So we have to wrestle with ourselves the truth of this news, but also that this is good news. That death holds no 
power over us anymore. All we simply do is slip below the surface for a split second and immediately into your arms. And your arms are plenty strong to handle that. And our sin and our junk and our failures do not define us anymore. Because through the blood that was shed on the cross and through your resurrection was validated that when you walked out of that tomb, you ushered in a new era. The era of the resurrection and our healing and our wholeness has begun. And though we're not all the way there yet and we won't be until this final resurrection when everything is culminated, the process has started and we are a new creature. Our past, our failures, our junk, even our present, even our future failures don't have to define us because we're your child. We thank you for your amazing grace and love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.